spooky bit of the season. Spooky bit, yes. We'll have one more full. No, wait. I don't know. I've lost track. Well, I think we have two more episodes. Two more because yes. we're going to do a special Halloween That's episode. That's right. So we have one more full episode, the normal time after this, then an actual day of Halloween episode. Mm. A lot of content here in October. In Hollow Weird World season. <laughs> yes. Did I get that right? Sure. Thanks. Oh, my name's Carrie. Who are you? I'm Dean. Yeah. Carrie, go ahead. What do you have for us today? Nothing. Oh, shoot. Does that mean me? <laughs> All right. So this is a weird bit. Like like Carrie said, it's about vampires. And it's a little bit of an introduction to our next full episode, which will look specifically at a pretty famous vampire case that took place in England. What I'm going to talk about here is going to be reminiscent of some of a much, much, much earlier episode. One of our first episodes, if you recall, it's the um, episode of Mercy Brown. Oh. Remember Mercy Brown? I do. Do you know what episode that was? No. As I frantically look it up. It was episode 52. Wow. Wow, way back in late 2017. That was, of course, about an incident in Rhode Island, in Exeter, Rhode Island, where a um, rash of tuberculosis cases led the townspeople in 1892, almost the 20th century, to exhume a body and you know destroy the heart and thinking that she may have actually been an undead, a vampire, yeah. feasting on the blood of her siblings, in this case, her family, who were dying of tuberculosis. This was not an uncommon thing. This, this has been going on in history for quite a while. It started out in Eastern Europe, like a lot of the vampire legends did, and then it spread gradually to like France and England in the 1700s, and then into, it really hit rural New England. That's why in, in the U.S., most of the cases were from kind of farming towns in New England in the 1700s and 1800s, when actually, you know, they weren't that uncommon, these vampire panics. They suddenly, it kind of had the same format too, the same pattern, or as Rachel would say. Pattern. Pattern. Hi, Rachel. Hi. <laughs> she's, she's both happy we said hi, but angry that we still <laughs> mispronounced the word the way she did when she was four years old. But the pattern was for someone to die, and then that would the first death in some kind of a rash of incidents, usually with some kind of a communicable disease, would start these things. Of course, the most common one in the U.S. at this time was tuberculosis, then called consumption. But it was other things too. It could be the plague, it could be you know, bubonic plague, and you would have that first death that seemed to, in a series of deaths, think, okay, that person died, but then these other people died. Maybe that person was a vampire. Let's dig them up, do something to their heart, their brain, burn them, stake them, whatever. Do something to them because they thought a rash of deaths could be caused by a vampire. Didn't they realize when... Sibling number one gets a cold. Siblings two, three, and four often get colds too. It's before germ theory. Well, I Although understand you, that. Yeah, you don't have to understand <laughs> how it happens, but you know what happens. You have to have simple inductive reasoning yeah. to understand that they did not. Superstition Apparently. beats inductive reasoning. You know what? Superstition beats rationality and reasoning right now as we speak. Yeah. Fact. So 
expect too much, perhaps. I guess. I mean, think about it. Think about vaccine deniers. They're not responding to real life. They're not responding to facts. They're not responding to science. They're not responding to rationality. They're not responding to even inductive reasoning. Oh, look how many people who lived who are vaccinated versus people who died. None of those things work because you have this worldview that trumps that. This is what happened then. Vampires were a thing, especially in Eastern Europe, that percolated out to other parts of Europe and then to the U.S. <laughs> they and were? Vampires were They a were thing? a thing in the, in the folklore, <laughs> in the belief system. Oh, How's okay. that? So when a person died of a contagious disease, you know, they were a vampire. And, and don't get me wrong. It wasn't like it was routine. It was rare, but it happened pretty regularly in the old world and then the new world. And then, of course, the, the, the kicker was that when you exhume a body, especially when it hasn't been that long, yeah. it does look surprising. Things It looks like the nails have grown. It looks like their hair, hair has grown. Sometimes, for whatever reason, it could be the nat- natural soils, they haven't decayed as much as you think. They haven't decomposed as much as you think. There could be blood in the veins or blood in the mouth or, some, or things that look like blood, bodily fluids Ooh. that have coagulated. Um, so that, and very often, it would look like, okay, yeah. No, that guy was buried three months ago, and look. He's he, been he should be ashes this, to ashes and dust to dust. <laughs> yeah, and, and and so he's but he's got like he looks well fed and he looks <laughs> like he has blood around his mouth. He's a vampire, and those are the cases you're gonna that are gonna come down in history. I'm sure there are cases where they dug somebody up and uh, thinking, okay, this is the vampire, and it's uh, horrifically completely decomposed. And they go, oh, okay, you know what, our bad, and just filled it up. Okay. Wiped their hands yeah. and walked away. <laughs> so I'm going to give you a few cases from that, and then I'm going to give you one other case that is really eerily similar to uh, Marcy Brown. So the first one is just a f- just a little taste. Peter Plagojewicz. Plagojewicz? <laughs> Plag- sure. Plagojewicz. Plagojewicz? Let's go with that. He was a Serbian dude. He uh, died in 1725. It's a classic example he was the first. They had a series of sicknesses and people dying. And the subsequent later deaths said, okay, Peter is out there preying on them. So they dug him up. And here, I, I'm saying this one because here is the um, report from that kind of, I guess, what, ME, uh, a coroner's um, oh. autopsy, sort of, I guess. So they dug him up and examined the body. Here's a quote from someone who was there. Quote, I did not detect the slightest odor that is otherwise characteristic of the dead, and the body was completely fresh. The hair and beard had grown on him. The old skin, which was somewhat whitish, had peeled away, and a new fresh one had emerged under it. Not without astonishment, I saw some fresh blood on his mouth. Oh, I'm sorry, in his mouth, end quote. So that gives you a lot of the cues that said, okay, well, this is weird. This is something going on here. I don't know science-wise what the The peeled skin skin is and the fresh skin. I don't know. Is it just the decomposition of the epidermis, maybe? If you're a doctor or person, or you believe in science, as they say in Disenchanted, uh, Princess (laughs) Diabini always says science. If you you know about what that is, tell us. I'd be interested to know. Yeah. What causes what might cause it to look as if the skin is peeled away as a fresh new skin from from a dead body because yeah. he had been dead a little while. I do have a book about dead bodies. I should read it. Okay, maybe it'll explain. It might. Stuff. It might indeed. But the the blood and all that. So you know, they thought, okay, we were right. So they stuck a stake through his heart and reburied him. Case closed. Done and done. Now you're really dead, Peter. Another one that has, I'll tell you why in a minute, it also was from Serbia. It was also in the early 18th century. It was a guy named Arnold Paoli. 
Doesn't sound very Serbian, does it? P-A-O-L-E. Sounds super Italian. Maybe he was an Italian who moved to Serbia. This is the Austro-Hungarian Empire, of course, at the time, as, as you know. He broke his neck when he fell off a hay wagon. Aww. He's dead, Arnold is. And same thing. They, he was accused of being a vampire when some other people died in the town. And so several of the victims were dug up just thinking, like, let's be real sure which one was the vamp. And they dug up Arnold Powell, and I guess he was the one who they thought was most was freshest and most likely to have been the vampire. So they did the usual ritual stuff with him and solved their vampire problem. The reason this was kind of important is because the Austrian military, again, this is part of Austria-Hungary, they wrote up this report. You know, very official channels. Austria-Hungary was, like, like all empires, very good at record-keeping. Yeah. And uh, wrote it up and brought it back to Vienna. And from there, it kind of, that's where it migrated out into France and later England. So they think that was sort of the gateway to Western Europe being, believing in these kinds of folklore, vampiric, dig up the body when a lot of people die kinds of things. And then, and then it made its way to the U.S. very quick, quickly after that, oh, after it made its way here in the early 1700s uh, via the Austria-Hungarian Empire. And this case is considered maybe probably because of that official report is considered the case that brought it to yeah. a, a wider world. Next, we travel to West Greenwich, Rhode Island. So we're in the U.S. Oh. now. And this the, took to place. Rhode Island, the vampire capital of the U.S.? Very much so. <laughs> Truly <laughs> is. Okay. So what, I don't know where exactly in Rhode Island where West Greenwich is, but it can't be far from any other part of Rhode Island because <laughs> it's very, true. very small. Uh this was happened to a 19-year-old. Her name was Nellie Vaughn. And it was, it was kind of a pretty famous case because the cemetery where she was eventually buried was visited a lot. Her grave was visited a lot. And people even vandalized her headstone and broke it up sometimes, uh, multiple times. Michael Bell, a famous folklorist and vampire scholar, looked into this case. And it took place in 1889. Oh. Remember, we just talked at the start that 1892 was Mercy Brown. Yeah. And so... He actually looked into it as a case that was similar and surprisingly close to the Mercy Brown case. And, but when he studied it, he figured out, wait a second, this didn't happen. She was never exhumed. She was never thought of as being a vampire. It's after the fact, after the Mercy Brown case, since it was so close, oh. people just mistook them and conflated these two cases. And she became... Nellie Vaughn became this vampire case, and he did, he was able to determine no, nothing to the story. It, contemporaneously, that never happened. Oh, so it's just a pure. It's a, another example of the superstition of it that just you know it even glommed onto cases that that weren't cases. The other thing he thinks that may have led to this led to the, her being thought of as a vampire, and she must have been staked in the heart was because her her headstone of this this nineteen year old girl when she died says quote. I am waiting and watching for you. That's insanely creepy. So I, I think it means maybe from heaven? Yeah. Because she died before most of her family, her mother yeah. and father and her siblings. Super creepy. It does yeah. sound a little, it sounds a little vampiric. I'm waiting and watching for you to come out of my grave and suck your blood is what I think people thought that would have meant. I'm waiting and watching for you to come join me in heaven. Yeah, well, that's also kind in of a very ghoulish. Long time. Because okay, well, now you're just you're you're, <laughs> you're rescuing it. It was creepy. Here, here's the thing: she didn't write it; somebody Probably else not. did. So. If she did say, "I want my epitaph to be," <laughs> she's got a problem. Even on her deathbed, maybe her final. Wishes. I think I'm going. <laughs> that was blood. So. 
Frederick Ransom, another guy, he's included, in this case is thought as interesting because he was a student at Dartmouth and he came from South Woodstock, Vermont, and his family was very well-to-do, educated, and affluent. And that was not normally the case. Yeah. Almost all of this case were out kind of, at the time, would have been thought of as like the boonies, kind of hicks, kind of, you know, poor farmer types, and who, who were more prone to these superstitions. This family was clearly superstitious. He died in 1817 of tuberculosis. And his father, again, who was very well-educated and very well-to-do, thought that he may his son may have been a vampire. I don't it doesn't say whether or not there were a rash of deaths. There must have been. Yeah. I'm assuming. It's not like, you know, my, my son sure seemed like a vampire. Yeah. So there must have been a rash of deaths, maybe even some other deaths in his family. I don't know. I don't have a lot of de- details on it. But his father uh, had the body exhumed and in the Oh, you know what? I think there was. I think there was some other or maybe they just they just associated tuberculosis with vampirism. Yeah, maybe. It's like, okay, he died from consumption. He might be a vampire. So they dug him up to maybe save the rest of the family from getting it from him oh, in his yeah. death, I think. I think that was the, the rationale. Yeah. And they so they got him. They dug his heart out. They burned it in a blacksmith's forge. Very hot. Yikes. And quote, however, it did not prove a remedy for mother, sister, and two brothers died afterward. Yeah. End quote. So it didn't work. No. Shockingly, yeah. vampire rituals don't battle tuberculosis the same way, I don't know, bleach doesn't yeah. battle the COVID um, virus. You know, there is a hemorrhagic version of tuberculosis. Yes, that's the galloping yeah. consumption is, is typically hemorrhagic. So you're yeah. coughing up blood and you're going to die very, very soon. Yeah. So the rest of his, a lot of his family died. And the brother would later write, quote, it has been related to me that there was a tendency in our family to consumption and that I would die with it before I was 30. This is the brother saying this, that the family just, uh, well, he wrote that when he was 80. So I guess <laughs> the ten, this is the brother of, of Ransom's, so I guess the uncle of Frederick Ransom yeah. said this. It didn't run too much. But, you know, that you again, like you said, you would think that would tell them, okay, so... You know, we get that. This is consumption. This family is prone to it for whatever reason. Who knows if it really right. was. Uh, but no, no. The, the dad went for a vampire, and it didn't work. Bristow Congdon was a, a child or, or a man. He was described as, quote, a black man, but they don't know if that meant what we African-American or, right. or Native American. They don't know. Oh. They, they just they maybe didn't didn't you know weren't yeah. very clear. This is also in Rhode Island. It was also in the latter part of the eighteen hundreds. And what happened is that several of his children died of tuberculosis. Quote The body of one of the children was exhumed and the vital parts were burned in obedience to the dicta of this shallow and disgusting superstition, end quote. There's a white guy probably writing about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean he's right, but he, you know, just he's yeah. up, bro. But still, it, he, he was described as as a quote black man. So whether he was black or Native American, Michael Bell has written about this because it, it indicates that this superstition, this belief, crossed racial lines in the U.S. in Rhode Island. And again, this is the latter part of the 1800s. So the last one I'll, I'll tell you before I, I give the longer version is Annie Dennett. She died in 21 of tuberculosis, of course. She was in rural New Hampshire. She died in seven, September of 1810. Uh, she died shortly before that. But in September of 1810, a traveling free will Baptist minister. <laughs> okay. I don't know what that is. I don't I, you had like these, you know, ministers would, would travel around. I don't know, yeah. put, pitch a tent, speak some fire and brimstone. This is during the, the Great Awakening, and uh, one of them. And, you know, 
pass yeah. the hat around. He was one of those. His name was Enoch Hayes Place. And he just happened to be in town when the town was going to exhume Annie Dennett because they thought she might be a vampire because she started an, a, a tuberculosis little mini outbreak. So he was there. And the family was doing it. And the, the effort was to save Annie's father who had become sick from tuberculosis. So like, let's dig up Annie. She must be given to him from the dead yeah. as a vampire creature. Let's save the dad by digging her up and doing what, what you have to do. He said, so he wrote in his diary about that place did, Reverend Place did. And he said, quote, they opened the grave and it, it was a solemn sight indeed. A young brother by the name of Adams examined the moldy spectacle but found nothing as they supposed they should. There's but a little left except bones, end quote. So there were, were times, and this was late enough where it got recorded and survived because of this traveling preacher who wrote about it in his diary. And, and he, so there were times, like yeah. I kind of mentioned before, where, oh, okay. She's not a vampire. <laughs> She's completely decomposed. I don't know exactly when she died, but this is in September when they dug her up. I, probably not that long. No, notice when she died, though, in the summer. So you decompose him. Remember Mercy Brown oh, yeah. died of some of the victims? Was it her? I can't remember. I don't some, remember. They died in the winter, so they, it was, they weren't able to bury them right away. And yeah. It was very cold, so it kind of preserved the body. Yeah. The case that I'm going I'm to end this with is the case of Sarah Tillinghast. Shockingly, also of Rhode Island. In fact, also <laughs> occurred in Exeter, the same town. Wow. But this happened in, according to the story, the legend, in 1776. Oh, Her father... Auspicious st- year. Yes, it's the start of the revolution, or, or shortly after the start of the revolution. Stukely Tillinghast, pretty pretty cool Great name, let's be honest. Yeah. He and his wife, whose name is Honor, very Quaker name, love it, yes. Had 14 kids. Of course they did. That's too many. And I guess they all lived. I don't know how old they are now, but they all lived. She was supposedly the oldest daughter. And one night, Stukely, the dad, had a dream. And he it was so riveting and so vivid that he, it woke him up. So he's like, he startles awake and remembers his dream. He tells his wife right away, wakes up, tells her up and said, hey, I just had a dream that I, we were in our orchard. They had a, a big, beautiful apple orchard. And he said, I walked into the orchard and half of the trees were dead. Ooh. And he knew it. He just felt like it meant something. And he was really, a, he was a, a fearful about it. But, you know, he went back to sleep and he life returned to normal, but it was in the back of his mind. Not too long after that, though, Yes, eldest daughter Sarah became ill with tuberculosis. And she did indeed have the bad kind, the galloping consumption, shortness of breath, fever, weight loss, violent cough. And in the later stages of it, like you said, it can get hemorrhagic and you start speeding up blood from your lungs. Bright red. It's really bad. Oxygenated blood. It means you're almost dead. Yeah. So they knew she was probably going to be dead within a few weeks. And sure enough, she was. She died not long after she was... The, the doctor said, yeah, you have it bad. Sorry, Sarah. So by the time she died, though, yes, indeed, the second oldest daughter, yeah. Sarah's sister, had contracted tuberculosis. Very soon, five more were oh dead. And another was desperately ill with tuberculosis. It just, it just ravaged the family very suddenly. So Stukely realized his dream was true, it wasn't half the orchard was going to die. Half his kids. It was half his children. Oh, my Lord. And 
shortly after this realization, his wife started, <laughs> I'm finding it hard to breathe, Stukely. I don't know if that's the accent. She indeed appeared Aww. to have contracted the horrific illness. So Stukely says, look, he's, I've still got one kid with it. I've got a wife. I've got to save them. So what am I going to do? Um, he remembered back when the second daughter had it. And she was, had, she was like delirious with fever. She had said that during the night, Sarah had come to her into her room and had sat on her chest, all kind of succubus-like. Yeah. Uh, and so Stukely says, okay, you know what? This must be one of those cases. Sarah is a vampire. And so he brought together a band of farmers. I guess he's going around, hey, neighbor. I'm pretty sure my dead daughter is a vampire. Will you help me dig her up? And they wow. said yes, as you would in those days. And so a bunch of them went out there in broad daylight, by the way. They weren't doing this shit under the moonlight. This no. was in the, in the daylight. They dug up the graves of all of the dead Tillinghast kids and inspected their bodies. Five, remember, six are dead. One is at death's door, as is the wife. Five of them showed no more... Decay, just some level of decomposition. And so they rebury them with full honors. Sarah's body, mm-mm. Her eyes were wide open. They were fixed in this kind of a stare, and she had fresh blood in her heart and in her veins. So they knew what they had to do. They cut out Sarah's heart. They burned it until it was ash, and then they reburied her. If you remember the Mercy Brown uh, case they actually used the burnt heart to make a concoction and make the dying brother drink, drink it. it. They didn't go that far in this case, but still, the seventh child did indeed die yeah. just after they dug up and, and uh, burned the heart of Sarah. But his wife was able to make a full recovery, and oh. none of the other kids died. That's so, good. You know, it was just a little too late for the seventh kid, but it saved the wife and the rest yeah. of the kids by doing this vampire ritual. Yeah. See, and so when something like that happened, the timing of that, you would think, exactly. okay, uh, yeah. it worked. We did it. We were able to, to you know, when, when in reality, it's just, you know, the kids who weren't getting it were probably, for whatever reason, they had better immune systems yeah. or just enough distance or were smart enough to keep away from the sick kids. Yeah. And for whatever, you know, it rarely killed entire family. Right. It did sometimes, but usually it just killed a portion of a family. This is just the normal, yeah. you know, the advance of, of tuberculosis at the time. And it, it reminds me, I read this from a, a blogger. I got this version. This, this is a well-known story from a blogger named Fairweather Lewis. <laughs> I'm assuming that's a, that's a pseudonym. She wrote that actually this is, people think of this, of these cases of vampirism. She says they're not. They're really more like a Nosferatu. And, I, and most people think Nosferatu and vampires are the same. And I do too. And I'm not sure she's completely right. She says actually Nosferatu is translation as vampire is a mistranslation, and it actually is meant plague bearer. And so there's this oh. creature that brought plague into a town, and it could be tuberculosis, but it could also be bubonic, bubonic plague or something like that, some right. kind of an illness that's, that struck at a town. I don't know if she's right. I have no idea. Yeah. Um, we do think of Nosferatu as vampires right. now. The movie Nosferatu was actually a, an exact ripoff of Dracula, but yeah. they made him look gruesome. So I don't know if that's true or not, but clearly 
I don't think she's right in saying that the, all these cases were like that. They thought of them as vampires. They they thought that they were uh, coming out of their graves and drinking blood and getting there and killing their siblings in right. these cases. Yeah. So I don't think she's completely right about that. Uh, although it is similar, isn't it? Of course, and she cites the Mercy Brown case. Now, one more thing about the Sarah Tillinghast case before we let you go, and that is apparently a lot. There was the first story of this was published in 1888. So about 78 years after it took place, I believe, the Sarah Tilling... No, I'm sorry, more than that. Uh, over 100 years after the Sarah and Tilling case took place, right? And it was... I'm sure it must have been oral tradition, or maybe there's other written sources that had it that we, we don't have anymore, but there's one uh, published article uh, from 1888 that was called The Belief in Vampires in Rhode Island, and it's from a book by a Sydney writer that was published in March of, of 1888. It, had, it was sparse with some of the details, and so, again, Michael Bell, the folklorist and vampire expert, looked into it, and he was able to find uh, what the mom's name was and, and some other facts that showed it's not exactly perfect. So, because so, Sarah did die at about the age they said she was, but she died in 1799, not 1776, and she wasn't the eldest daughter, mm. and it also, it looks from the gravestones he was able to find that it, that only about four of the children of that family died that year, as opposed to, to seven, but in 1799, there was an outbreak. It did wipe out four of these kids yeah. to the Tillinghast family, so there probably is a real-life event that, that gave this, but somehow the facts got garbled right. as the story was told over the yeah. years. And he's able to find, and the writer of this article, who I'm going to blank on, I apologize, is not, it was in a thing called Small States Big History. It's a, it's a Rhode Island history um, <laughs> website, which is pretty cool. He said that that person was able to find the grave, and he, he was not able to, I guess Sarah Tillingham's grave is in there, but it's a lot of the gravestones are so old. There's just nothing. There's no inscription left. But he right. did find he found yeah. her brother's grave, I think, and her mom's gravestone in there. So in the in the the cemetery that where it was said she was buried. So we think it's true. Yeah, it it happened. Yeah, and you can see the echoes of the Mercy Brown case yeah. are eerie. It's it's the Mercy Brown case followed very much the same kind of a format and pattern. Yeah. Many years later, uh, over a century later, or no, I guess a little less than a century right. later in the in real life. So that are that's our little rundown of famous, recent, real life vampires, real, people who are really thought of yeah. as vampires, and you dug them up, you staked them, you burned their heart, and you saved your family. Yeah. Do it today. No, no. actually, oh, we're not. We're not advocating digging no. up. Okay. I'm sorry, I, I misspoke. We're officially the, the website. I'm sorry, the podcast is not advocating dig up dead people and yeah. stake them to the heart. I made a mistake. Carrie corrected me. There wouldn't be any fresh blood anymore. No, why not? Oh, because of embalming? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It would be different now, wouldn't it? Yeah. Still, part of me would not be at all surprised if someone did it. There's some, yeah. you know, we believe in a lot of, of silly things. That is true. We're going to do a little ad for something right now. We are? Uh-huh. It's first I heard about that. A, a little short film. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, go ahead. <laughs> it's not really an advertisement. No, it's not. Nobody's paying us to do this. No. <laughs> but if you want to see a very funny, pretty raunchy short film, go to the link in our social media or I'll put it in the notes to the web or to the podcast too, this episode. 
You should be able to get it. It's on YouTube. It's called Kidnapped. It's not raunchy. It's It's got some well, foul language yeah. and some significant weed smoking, but it's not raunchy in the sense that it's not sexy raunchy. That's true. Okay. It is not sexy raunchy. It's a great movie. It's a great little short <laughs> okay. film. It was made by people we know. Yes. All right. So go watch it. Well, thanks for that plug. Or they thank you for that plug as well. Help his YouTube algorithm, however that stuff um, works. It's we, confusing. we don't know how it no, works. No one does. You know who doesn't? <laughs> YouTube doesn't. Well, thanks for listening. Again, we'll bring you next up is the story of the vampire of Croglin Grange. If you want to do some pre-reading, don't though. You'd rather just hear the story in a few days. That comes up next. And then after that's Halloween. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.